Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, and how to front run the opportunity. This is Ryan Sean Adams. I'm here with David Hoffman, and we're here to help you become more bankless. Guys, we have a sequel to our excellent episode from yesterday. This is part two of the episode on the bull case for layer two, the trillion dollar case for layer two. Uh, just to recap, part one we did yesterday. If you haven't listened to that podcast, go listen to that. I think it's helpful context for part two today. In part one, we covered Ether economics in an L2 world. What L2, that is layer twos, will do for the price of ETH? And we asked the question, will we get a layer two season with all of the new layer two tokens that are coming? But today's episode is all about public goods. Public goods are the new alpha. David calls this a trillion dollar opportunity as well. We're gonna talk about how L2s are going to compete, how some L2s are going to beat other L2s with growth and adoption through public goods funding. And here's where the opportunity comes in. We talk about how you can become a public goods entrepreneur and also how to become a public goods investor. Because of course, public goods investors and builders are the new alpha. That's what we're talking about today. David, what were some of the highlights from this episode? Yeah, I feel like I'm about to become a broken record with how many times I'm going to say public goods are the new alpha. It's the new frontier. It's the new way to make money. And we are just on the horizon of this. We can see it on the horizon. Optimism is leading the charge into this whole entire movement of turning alpha into public goods, where public goods and public goods builders and public goods investors has the same amount of upside that we saw power Silicon Valley and Web2. So with retroactive public goods, we're putting the upside potential of a brand new startup, but we're injecting that with the products and opportunities that public goods uh, create for the world. And so uh, the, the reason why I'm calling this a trillion dollar opportunity, the second trillion dollar opportunity of the layer two ecosystem, the first being the one that everyone knows, L2 tokens, apps on layer twos, ETH itself, of course, trillion dollar opportunity there. But this brand new one has never before been seen on the face of this earth. It's something that is uniquely enabled by crypto and by layer twos themselves. And it's going to be the vector that all layer twos compete on. Whether or not layer twos survive and, adopt and uh, see adoption and see growth is whether they can compete with other layer twos as to how well they can fund public goods. And with the innovation, the tinkering of mechanism design using retroactive public goods funding gives uh, layer twos the path towards turning the upside of layered of building public goods into market opportunities and injecting the power of the market with the opportunity of public goods. Uh, so Ryan, we walk through this whole entire subject matter and, and give you the narrative and the reasoning behind why you might want to be the first of its kind, a, a public goods investor or public goods builder. That's a lot of opportunities here, and that was the word we used so many times in our last episode. We're going to use it more today because that is the truth. There are a lot of opportunities in this brand new horizon that's opening in front of us in Layer 2. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to get right into the episode. But first, we want to tell you about these awesome tools for going bankless from our sponsors. All right, hey guys, we are talking. This is part two of our, our bull case for Layer 2s, the trillion dollar opportunity in Layer 2s. And uh, in part two, I think we're going to make the bull case for public goods and where all the opportunities for you are in the public goods space. Um, let's first talk about public goods a little bit, maybe some 
definitional characteristics. But David, what are public goods? And mm-hmm. we could use this analogy we've been using throughout this this episode in part one, and, and now uh, this as well, of like chains being a little bit like nation states and countries and nations, they have public goods. Mm-hmm. And so why shouldn't chains? And what are public goods? And what's the, what's the analog to uh, the nation state world here? Yeah, public goods are globally shared resources that are like non-rivalrous and non-exclusive is like the technical definition. Um, but it's also, it's things like uh, clean air and clean water. These are all public goods. Um, roads are things that we all use when we drive to the grocery store. Uh, and so public goods are these public utilities, basically, like transportation and like access to healthcare. These are all things that we all need and it actually benefits everyone, even if other people have them, right? And so clean air is beneficial to you if I have it. Like good access to roads is beneficial to you if I have access to roads. It's like uh, when we generate good economies, it benefits our neighbors, which benefits ourselves. Uh, and so it's these globally shared utilities, like these commons, these common, common utilities that just make the quality of life for people better. Like it's better when we have clean air. It's better when we have clean water. Uh, Kevin Owaki likes this line. It's like, what's the point of having a Lambo if the sky is on fire? And it's, uh, it's just been a part of the grand story for crypto at large is how do we actually price in the value of these public goods into our markets? Because previously before crypto, and still to this day, because crypto hasn't solved this yet, but we're working on it, is that like we can't find ways to protect public goods without top-down government intervention. So this is ultimately what taxes are for. Like they take the governments take our taxes and they are meant to protect public goods, protect our national parks, like clean our clean our water systems, make sure we have good roads, fill our potholes. Governments, you know, are famously inefficient for this, but that is the ultimate purpose of taxes in the first place is to produce public goods. Um, and governments that can figure out how to make their public utilities more and more useful ultimately help generate economies that are stronger because when our roads don't have potholes in them and they're efficient and we have clean water, just life in these, in these countries are, is better. They're more desirable. It's a more desirable place to live where uh, commerce can happen more efficiently. Uh, and so the, the countries that invest effectively into public goods ultimately become stronger economies because there's just lubrication everywhere. The populace is happy and they can actually charge more in taxes because they have created a more desirable place to live and people aren't actually like dissatisfied or disgruntled about paying their taxes because they see it going to things that make their lives better. So public goods are at a part, are just a part of this world and they're also famously difficult to price in. Uh, this is why we have this, the concept of the tragedy of the commons, right? Where like if it's a public good, people will just consume it all as much as possible for free without giving back. So how do we establish a, a business model for public goods has been one of these core drivers of, of crypto economics. And part of the layer two opportunity is that we actually have an actionable, concrete, known path forward for actually producing valuable market prices on our public goods. And that is a trillion dollar opportunity that is coming. Uh, And it's like not just coming in a decade from now, but it's coming just like in a mere months and something I want the bankless nation to be prepared for. I think we'll we'll talk about that in a in a minute, like how to get access to these public goods or how to you know be a builder of these public goods because I think that's sort of the opportunity and the invitation, right? And this this uh, whole podcast series is all about layer two opportunities. 
But, you know, just to kind of establish that a little bit. So like a public good is kind of a utility that benefits everyone. And it's generally not like privately funded either. Right. It's like funded by like a collective. Right. It's owned by the people right? for the people. Yeah. And so like the, like, um, you know, and, and I think people who'd say, well, public goods aren't, uh, aren't important. Uh, you haven't really looked at the public goods that they benefit from in their own lives. It's like who, who goes and looks at a house and doesn't look at, uh, you know, if you have kids, the neighborhood and you're looking at the school system where the kids can play and is there green space and how are the sidewalks? What's right. the flow of traffic? Like, uh, do I have easy access to downtown? Is there, you know, a, a metro station nearby? All of these public goods enhance the value and the network effect of the place I decide to call home. And so the idea of like, like, first of all, neighborhoods have public goods, cities have public goods, states have public goods, countries have public goods, and it is a way for one country to compete against another, one, one region to compete against another. Uh, where I live is ultimately it's a determination of, okay, does this have the best like uh, public goods infrastructure at a reasonable tax rate, right? And yes. so that can be part of making the calculus. And there, there are some like countries or jurisdictions that might have um, high taxes and like terrible public goods. Right. And you're just like, why would I want to live there? It's not worth it. Uh, in you know, other countries that try to try to give you kind of the, the right mix. And maybe chains are, are no different. There was actually a, a tweet thread from um, at Tasha, uh, Tasha Labs where she talks about um, chains needing to subsidize uh, various industries. And she advocates this this in the future. And so, like, if you think of like, what does a blockchain produce? What is its original public good? It's like block space. It's defense is the original public good. It's security. When you pay your transaction fee taxes, what are you actually funding? You're funding national defense of the chain. You're funding the security of the chain. You're, you're funding the miners or the validators who are economically protecting the chain. And that so far has been. Really the major, maybe I might say the only, aside from new experiments that are happening, but it's been the original public good uh, that, that chains produce. And the reason it's so useful and valuable is, of course, we need these, these um, security for the, for the chains to function, but it's also the distribution of it is very, very fair. It's like, it's credibly neutral distribution. How does Bitcoin decide who to reward? It's, well, it's based on your hash power. Everyone's treated equally. It's like if you have X amount of hash power, you get Y amount of tokens. It doesn't matter who you are. Anyone can permissionlessly um, participate. Same with Ether. If you're staking, you have you know allotment of ETH and you get a, a share. Um, Tasha, in Tasha's uh, Twitter thread, she was actually talking about the, the notion or the idea of chains starting to fund other things as well. So you can imagine a um, different industry that a government might want to fund, like uh, the green energy industry or the solar industry or like healthcare, the electric uh, and car so industry or something, electric yeah. car Innovation, industry. And, yeah. and so what, what types of things might a blockchain want to fund? Well, probably like wallet infrastructure, mm -hmm. potentially maybe liquidity funds right. to like incent people to, to come in, maybe like marketing budget. Does a chain want to stand up like a, a propaganda mm -hmm. ministry? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, all of these Our things blockchain is good efforts. Exactly. Or like maybe we're just funding all of these influencers to talk about our particular chain. Like you could start uh, using public funding, which effectively is how do chains pay for defense? It's issuance of the underlying asset itself. They produce more 
you know, there's a Bitcoin uh, uh, reward, block block reward, and Ether has block reward. So you could actually issue mint some of your chain's coinage, some of the assets to pay for some of these other things if you wanted to. But I think that has a, a fault, doesn't it? Like, what is the fault? I mean, you know, Bitcoiners realized this very early. I think the Ethereum community realized it early as well. But like, what happens when you start rewarding and picking and choosing different industries or different things to fund with block rewards? There is certainly a place where public goods should be invested from, but at the L1 layer, it gets a little dangerous. Um, we also have to remember that money, the system of money is a public good, where like the actual unit, the actual like dollar or unit of ether is a private good, as in that like that's my ether, that's my dollar. Um, but the system itself is a public good, like the system of money. Uh, is a public good and we need to and money like, this is a very famous bitcoiner approach is that money is the ultimate public good because it coordinates resources around the world like money is this resource coordination mechanism and when we start tampering with the money if we start tinkering with the money we lose some of that power we lose some of that effectiveness especially if a privileged party can direct money into places where they think that it should go because humans are inherently corruptible and, and crypto is in the business of making uncorruptible systems. Uh, this is in the, in the fiat world, this is called the Cantillon effect, where if you are proximate to the money printer, you have the positive benefits of the new issuance of money. And there's like a bunch of industries uh, that have been able to lobby their, their position to be close to the money printer. For example, the military industrial compact, complex like Lockheed Martin. Uh, Lockheed Martin is really close to the money printer and now they're incentivized to create wars or conflict. And so that's a, that's a corruption example. And so having money issuance at the layer one to fund block place space security protects the system of money. But if we start like siphoning off like a dev fund, right? Like 10% of all issuance goes to funding like propaganda or funding like public infrastructure what that public infrastructure is can be corrupted right and like people the entities that produce that public infrastructure can be corruptible and so at the layer one level it's my belief and i think ryan you agree with me that the money needs to be not tainted the l1 asset needs to be not tainted however this is where we can get into the layer twos because layer twos can tinker with their own public goods funding without corrupting the layer one and this is where layer twos can start to compete with each other about who can fund the best public goods, along with the other layer ones who do choose to take the risk of tampering with their money issuance and their, and their distribution of their currency to fund certain efforts. Uh, and so layer twos, they also generate revenue, just like the Ethereum protocol generates revenue at the layer one. Ethereum layer twos will also generate revenue from block space sales. Um, Optimism has pioneered this thing called MIVA or minor, uh, maximum extractable value auctions as in they can auction off the rights to produce a block and that money goes into the optimism like balance sheet the optimism treasury and all of a sudden this gives the optimism which is a DAO. the optimism DAO gives it has like ammo in the tool belt to start to fund public goods infrastructure for the optimism layer two uh, and i think this is going to be the vector on all layer twos that all layer twos compete by is can my layer two produce better and more efficient and more useful public goods to attract more people to come onto the layer twos? So just to, to recap here for people, um, public goods are important mm -hmm. in any sort of uh, social structure and uh, you know, including blockchains. The original public good that chains produced is security, defense. 
And the reason that worked is because there was a credibly neutral issuance policy. No group of people got to decide. It was basically you participate, you present hash power, you present validator power through uh, a token, and you're allotted this you know, credibly neutral allotment of uh, total funding rewards, right? When we start to branch out beyond that, even though it could be hypothetically useful for a chain network to uh, compete by creating other public goods, then you start to get into this governance territory of, well, who actually gets to decide which dev team gets the millions of dollars we are producing? And what happens if insiders start to sway that vote in one direction or another? And what you end up doing, if you don't have credible neutrality, is you like corrupt your entire money system. You just recreate politics. Yeah, you just recreate politics, and it's a worse politics because Mm -hmm. it's all kind of like... Uh, plutocratic and insider. There's no like one person, one vote, you know, underlying democracy to protect this thing. And you end up with a corrupt system that is destroyed from, from the beginning. And so that is why chains like Bitcoin will never introduce something like this. And also chains like Ethereum will never introduce uh, like blockchain subsidy to, to groups that are arbitrarily you know, like governed and arbitrarily decided. So you are saying these sorts of experiments while valuable, are not suited for the the layer ones, but can be experimented with much more effectively on the layer twos. And that's as far as we've gotten in our story. So is there anything else we should unpack there before we talk about retroactive public goods funding, David? Yeah, let's dive into how funding for retroactive public goods funding comes about, because that's an important part of the story, and we'll answer some questions that will inevitably come up anyway. So we we have this thing called retroactive public goods funding, which we haven't defined yet, but we will in a second. Uh, Where does the money come from for retroactive public goods funding? And, And I alluded to this a second ago, there is minor extractable value or maximally extractable value on every single layer two. Some people will propose blocks and they will uh, sequence transactions in these blocks that will allow them to extract some value, some arbitrage opportunities on Uniswap, some liquidation opportunities on MakerDAO or Aave that exists on these layer twos. And block proposers can auction off for the right to produce these blocks. Uh, and there is such a thing as good MEV and there's also such thing as like unethical and bad MEV. Uh, and this is actually a very dense topic, so I'll do my best to summarize it. Good MEV is just like arbitrage opportunities. They make our markets efficient. They they balance the prices uh, across various DEXs. They just make things very, very liquid. Uh, they also protect your positions. And so like, if we don't have MEV opportunities where validators can sequence transactions, uh, then like your liquidation position in compound, if you get liquidated, will get liquidated at a worse price. Highly competitive MEV opportunities make sure that if you do get liquidated, you get liquidated at the most favorable price to you. Uh, That's good. It's good. It's a good thing. And it's a, it's just good user experience. Like no one likes getting liquidated, but if you do, at least you get liquidated at the most favorable price to you. And MEV produces this. MEV can also be very, very bad and very, very unethical. There are things like sandwich attacks where you can put in a Uniswap trade for one price. uh, And because you're going to move the market, the person can front run you, take that alpha, take that arbitrage and give you very little in return. And it can get even worse than that. Uh, These can, MEV can even destabilize entire chains. uh, And there's just, it it gets crazy how bad it can get. Uh, And there's a, just a, a, a large conversation in the industry is like, how do we control MEV to optimize for the good side of things and uh, mitigate all the bad side of things. And this is also a vector that layer twos will compete on because layer twos, the protocols, will ultimately come to allow certain types of MEVs to be allowable and other types of MEV to not be allowable. 
And so this is going, these are going to be protocols that say like the bad MEV uh, types are just not allowed on our layer two. And if we discover that you as the validator are engaging in them, we will remove you from the validator set because you are doing what MEV strategies that we consider unethical and harmful to our users. But is also, that like protocol determined or is that like arbitrary? Uh, uh, it'll, it's different for every single protocol, right? So every single protocol will allow certain validators in based on certain rules. Uh, and they will also create certain rules for how to violate the rules of the protocol or the rules of the DAO. Uh, and so every single, uh, this is, a, again, this is the vector that protocols compete on is how well they can do this. But basically it's an optimization function. It's like we, we need to extract MEV from our users to fund public goods, but we want to make our users feel enabled and protected as they use our DeFi ecosystem and not feel extracted from. So it's a balancing, it's an optimization function. Like how much can we extract without being exploitative? Like how much can we extract that is actually good for our users, not bad for our users. And this goes back to the nation state example of how much taxes are we charging our citizens versus how many public, how much uh, public goods are we able to offer them? What are the quality of our public goods versus the level of taxation that we are, are pulling out of our users? And uh, uh, layer twos are going to get better and better at better at this and is ultimately going to create a very fantastic environment to, to live on. It's going to be an optimization of can I produce the best layer two for my users and it will force layer twos to compete for the love of their users, not just exploiting them for as much MEV as possible. I think this is a good thing to, to zone in on, right? So you're, you're saying that a main source of public good f goods funding for layer twos is going to be this thing called MEV, yes. right? As opposed to and we call that a tax, a tax for public goods, mm -hmm. as opposed to there are two other taxes that chains impose and that layer twos could impose, but many of the designs are, are, are dwelling more on the MEV tax. Maybe it's worth just really quick defining what the kind of the, the three different taxes are to fund public goods, because this is true of a layer two, but it's also true of a layer one. Um, the first type of tax is one we've already talked about, which is block rewards. This mm -hmm. is issuance. Right, so in the fiat world, we'd call this money printing. Right. We print more money, we inflate more supply, right. and we use that supply and we pay for public infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Right. We'll cut you a stimulus check with right. some money that we've just printed. We'll go bail out the banks with right. the money printing that we've done. Or we'll pay for the military with some additional ether we, we printed. That is what a blockchain block, block reward is. And this happens in Bitcoin, this happens in ether. It's not so much gonna happen with most layer twos, although they could. I don't anticipate many of the designs, at least at first, will uh, will do a lot of money printing. I think like Optimism, maybe they're doing like 2% issuance per year, but they're not awarding that block uh, subsidy to, to anyone in particular. It's kind of going to the treasury. The Dow. Yeah. Yeah. Going to the trend. So, so that is the first, um, the first category of tax, right? It's you print money just like a government would. The second type of tax is an excise tax. So, you know, when you go to like, um, a store and you buy some clothes, I don't know what, you, what's the state tax in California, David, like just for buying stuff. Uh, do you even know, I don't know in Washington, <laughs> it was seven to 10%. I think there you go. Seven to yeah. 10%. Like I live in Virginia, it's about 6% and it's a consumption tax, mm -hmm. right? So when I buy stuff in the economy, I pay 6% uh, tax on things I'm consuming. If I don't buy anything, it doesn't cost me anything. Mm -hmm. That's different than the money printing. Money printing right. costs everyone something equally. Right. If you hold that asset, Dilution. but yeah. yeah, but the, uh, the like excise tax is basically only consumption. So if I buy a block 
in Ethereum, mm -hmm. for instance, I get charged a tax. Right. What's the tax? It's gas fees. That's what gas fees are. They're yeah. taxes. And what does that go to? All oh, those taxes go to a public good, which is security, defense. Again, that's all that Ethereum and Bitcoin chains like it fund today. The third source of revenue, tax revenue, is this the kind that you were just talking about, David, which is MEV. And that is almost like a unique form of tax yeah. that doesn't exist very often in nation states or exists in, in various ways, which is like a tax on the money robots. We think of it like that. Mm -hmm. All the money robots that are doing some nice like um, like arbitrage for you and ordering of, of transactions for you, uh, there, there's, a, there's a tax mm -hmm. that um, m must be paid. And that is kind of like MEV. And that's where that comes from. And what you're saying is layer twos are primarily not using the category one of money printing and inflating their supply for public goods funding. And they're not using category two of transaction fees. There are transaction fees on layer two, but those transaction fees actually go to pay for block space on layer one primarily. Mm -hmm. So the public goods funding is really coming from this big source of revenue in the future, which is MEV. Right. That's what we're talking about here, right? Right. Yes. And this is the beautiful thing about MEV is it's like it's largely totally invisible to the users. At least good MEV is. Bad MEV is very extractive and very exploitable. Good MEV is completely invisible. And it's just, it's, uh, I use the metaphor of like it's, it's like pulling geothermal energy out of the layer two. There's a certain amount of economic heat. Some economies are hot. Some economies are cold. And hot economies generate more sustainable good MEV. Uh, and so it's like MEV is like the geothermal energy of layer twos. And it just is this perpetual heat source, which is a good economy, turns into funding for the Dow, funding for the layer two, which ultimately can go in towards funding public goods. Now, I will say it's not explicit that all layer twos will do this. Uh, this is something that Optimism specifically is pioneering and why this opportunity exists in the first place. But I think Optimism is going to lead the way into what is inevitably going to be a competition that all layer twos must compete on. Because if Optimism makes the best public goods for the layer two, then it's just gonna have the best layer two. And so other layer twos are going to also compete on this vector and they're gonna compete in the same strategy because I think it's a very viable strategy. Yeah, I agree. So what you're saying is, well, all layer ones for that matter, but also all layer twos, they'll all have MEV, mm -hmm. right? And some of that MEV is good, some of that's bad, and let's kick the can down the road on the, on the bad MEV. That's a whole nother podcast. Right. We're not gonna talk about yeah. that, but it's definitely a source of revenue. Now, what a layer two decides to do with that revenue mm -hmm. is kind of up to them, right. right? So some layer twos will just pass that off to the validators mm -hmm. in their network like mm -hmm. the block sequencers right. in that network, and they will receive a dividend. So they'll receive cash yeah. for providing this service, right? And others, and you think that this is a more game theoretically uh, competitive scenario, will take a portion of that MEV, will tax it essentially, give it back to public goods, right. and build stuff for the whole network. Mm -hmm. So you don't have a bunch of like wealthy elites right. that are extracting out of the economy. You're actually right. feeding some of that back into the public goods of the network, and you're building the parks and hospitals and roads that everyone can benefit from. And you think that if a layer two is not doing that public good strategy, then effectively like, no one wants to move there. Right. Like, why would I go live there? Yeah. Like, it's, it's the nation state model where two nation states, they have the same tax rate, say 10%. Wouldn't that be lovely? But one nation state takes that 10% and then starts building parks, starts building plumbing, plumbing, starts building clean water, starts like investing in public transportation. And the other nation state 
only gives it to uh, Vladimir Putin and the cronies. Yeah, the, the, the oligarchs, <laughs> right? And so, like, yes. one, all of a sudden, over time, one layer two is going to be a very enjoyable place to live, and one layer two just won't be. Uh, and so, yes, I think the it, the competition collapses down on like, well, the the ecosystem with the best public goods wins. Yeah, I think that's totally true. Okay, so now we've established why public goods are necessary for chains. We've established where the source of funding comes from. It doesn't just come out of thin air. There are some like three different sources of the funding. Now, can we get to the definition part, right. the retroactive public yes. goods? So what's the retroactive part of public goods? What are we defining here? Yeah, so retroactive public goods. This is the alpha, and this is something that crypto can only enable and why it makes me so optimistic that we are going to have a, a better future because of this mechanism design of retroactive public goods. This is where the, uh, the historical... Uh, disregard for investing in public goods is fixed, where it actually becomes profitable to build public goods. Uh, rather than like building out this new private good, this new Web2 social media app, or I don't know, building out Lockheed Martin or, or something crazy like that, it starts to become equally advantageous, equally like upside exposure to all of those like highly extractive, highly, uh, you know, you know, like, Silicon Valley upside projects, and that energy can be directed into building public goods via retroactive public goods. And so, can we pause here, sure. David, and just talk for a minute about like um, a lot of the most important public goods in the real world and crypto are not getting funded? Yes. And why are they not getting funded? Is it because they don't have a like a business model? Right. There's they no don't private... have a business model. There it's is like... no upside. It's like charity. And so like how you can't really convince people to donate their money to help clean the water. There is no business model for cleaning water. Exactly. So it's like, it's like these sorts of things like environmental is, is maybe the, the primary externalities, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, there's no business model for going and cleaning all of the air in a particular right. city. It's just right. false prey to tragedy of the commons. Right. There's no business model necessarily. If we, if we didn't have a interstate highway in the US, there's no one company who's going to be like, you know what, we'll centrally like spend the, the hundreds of billions of dollars to build out this road system and connect and charge people taxes. That would never get done because it's not profitable to do that. And yet it brings so much public good to the network as a whole. So there's a whole category of things that we could do to collaborate more tightly into better society and to live in a better like world uh, effectively. And, but we're not because the system of capital markets that we use today doesn't allocate funds to those things. Cause there's no short term research. Uh, there's no short term return on investment. Like research and development is another category, like the general sciences. I mean, no one is actually investing heavily in like general research that will pay dividends to future generations 10 and 20 years later as they discover things like quantum mechanics. Right. Yeah, ed education, also a fantastic public good that like requires yes. investment. Like that's where some of your tax dollars go is to educating the kids. And like, I don't need to, I hopefully don't need to convince bankless listeners that like an educated youth turns into just, that's, that's an investment in the youth and makes them build better things in the future. It's investment in the economy, yes. essentially. Right. Yeah. It's just, but it's also long-term investment, right? And so where's the upside? There is no like equity upside for being a teacher 
or for like starting a school. Uh, and so like th th it's these things that retroactive public goods funding actually fixes. And, and like how we said, like MEV is a unique property of crypto economic networks. And so retroactive public goods is a unique property that comes out of being able to extract MEV, a, a source of income that we've never had before in, in humanity. And if we, it's really just the power of where, can we direct the MEV that we collect from our layer twos into public goods, into things that humans deem to be valuable. And this is what retroactive public goods funding does. This is that mechanism. We so ready what to get is into the it? Retro yeah, what is the retroactive part? That's been the big question in my mind. So. Right, so uh, yeah, in order to explain retroactive, we have to explain the whole entire thing. So let's go ahead and get started with that. Say you are an entrepreneur, a builder, and you are looking to build a product, but it doesn't have a business model because it's a public good. So you build this thing and because of the commitment of retroactive public goods funding means that money will be there if you build this thing. Uh, and so it's, it's partly like a, a confidence thing. And so retroactive public goods funding says there will be money if you build it. And so here's how this works. You come up with this idea. Bankless, for example, if we had started Bankless when retroactive public goods funding, we might have started to use that instead of Gitcoin, which is a kind of a precursor to retroactive public goods funding. So we would go around to all of our, our, of our friends and saying, hey, would you like to invest in Bankless? We are going to make an education system for all of crypto. We're going to make the best podcast, the best newsletter, uh, and we're going to provide a ton of education, and we are going to be retroactively compensated for that in the future by proving our utility and proving just the, the, the value of the education that we bring to the crypto world. And then some, we, get, we would collect some investors, we would have some sort of like seed investment round, we would set a valuation as we do in, with normal seed investments. And so, hey, uh, $10 million valuation, uh, we're gonna, we just need to raise half a million dollars uh, and we'll do it from you know, our friends and family and people who believe in us. You can open this up to, you can open this up to the world. Uh, and then we mint an NFT, now, NFT is part of this, and uh, as, or, or tokens, it also works as, as ERC20 tokens. And then we just give pro rata shares of who invested into Bankless before uh, we were like uh, doing our work. Uh, and so then we have our investors with these tokens and we, we get to work building Bankless. And then later, as we've built out Bankless, as the podcast gets listened to, as a newsletter educates people, and as we onboard people onto Ethereum or onto crypto at large, we get to go to the, the, the DAO and say, like, look at all the funding that we, or look at all the benefits that we've given. And this is where the role of uh, Optimism's two, uh, two uh, bicameral governance system comes into play. It's, they've had the token house and the citizen house. The token is the OP token. The citizen's house are these known entities that direct public goods funding. Uh, the token house does like protocol upgrades and things like this. And the citizen's house, which is an identifiable human, like on-chain identity, is the citizen's house of optimism that directs funding towards public goods. And so they will, the, the, the generates like optimism generates like $10 million every month or so. And so that's the $10 million budget for retroactive public goods. And the citizens house just allocates funding from their monthly budget towards the projects and the ecosystems that have benefited the optimism layer two or benefited the system as a whole. And so what they do is they go and like reward token holders who invested in the public good in the first place. And there's many different mechanisms of doing that. You can literally buy and burn the token or you can just put cash in the pockets of token holders. But basically it is a commitment to funding 
the projects that invested or the, and the people that invested in this public good. So by like putting the public good into a token on, on the layer two or on Ethereum, you can identify the early believers, the early investors in this thing and start streaming cash into them as determined by whether or not they actually provided good utility and good value to the layer two. So it is a top-down like governance system, as in the citizens' house of the Optimism DAO votes and determines how to allocate their uh, their retroactive public goods uh, funding that they have. But it's baked into the social contract of the Optimism DAO to do this. And so there's a little bit of a bootstrapping problem, as in like people might not take the risk of venturing out to produce this public goods venture until they have assurances that money is coming. But if you believe in the optimism uh, uh, social contract, and then later, if you actually see this actually working out, your uh, VCs and, and entrepreneurs are going to have better and better assurances that money will come to them if they uh, provide something of value to the optimism layer too. Did I explain that okay? Yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah, I, I just want to dive into some of this and repeat some of it back to you. But first of all, I just wanted to clarify, I think you explained this, but for everyone, like the uh, the citizen house, at least in optimism, these are individuals, mm -hmm. like individual people, yes. like one-to-one, -one, one person, one vote. This mm -hmm. is not capital voting. Yes, uh, It's kind of like a, a decentralized, it's an identity protocol, if you will, in optimism that shows you are a person living in the optimism layer too. And your vote matters and counts. This is public goods funding. You're, you're essentially a member of Congress yeah. that's allocating budgeting decisions, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Not setting laws, but actually imagine that. Imagine if you could actually, as a citizen of your country, vote where your tax dollars were spent, like more directly. That's what, that's what this is kind of providing for, which is super cool. But it strikes me that's like what you said was, if you are a startup, right, you can start to think about developing an entirely different set class of um, applications mm -hmm. and products, right? Mm -hmm. You're not necessarily trying to convince investors of uh, like revenue and profit and uh, like the hard capital metrics. You, you actually just have to convince investors, like you start measuring things differently. You start to convince investors of like, oh, this is the utility, mm -hmm. the public utility that we are going to add. We're going to benefit X amount of optimism res residents, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to benefit the, the citizens of optimism by growing the community tenfold through education and bring more of those citizens into, into the citizens' commons, right? Into the citizens' house. Uh, your, your metrics, your success metrics completely change from success metrics based on like revenue mm -hmm. and profit and all of these capitalist for-profit things to like impact what impact did you make in the network, in the community? And these are these are notoriously like not captured by capital markets, right? So something like, um, God, what is the value of the Geth team right. and the Ethereum client? So Geth, if you're not familiar with it, this is the client, the main client that runs all of Ethereum mm -hmm. and that all of these other alternative layer ones have forked and used for Binance Smart Chain and for like, what is the value of that? Right, the Avalanche uh, L1 fork of Geth, Binance Smart it, Chain fork of exactly. Geth, Ethereum, it's Geth. So like imagine how much market cap stands on top of the shoulders of Geth and they have received zero funding other than like grants and payment from the Ethereum Foundation. Exactly. And so, 
It's unsustainable. So is, yeah. Not sustainable. And so what is the, the value of, of Geth? Like you could, you could show all of these metrics for impact and then the community would effect, effectively vote and say like, yes, this is so valuable to us. We are going to allocate funding to this. And I would imagine, David, correct me if this is, uh, this is not true, but like the token economics behind this um, further supercharge it, right? So what you're saying is a startup gets funded and it has a liquid token. Mm-hmm. And that token can trade up or down, right. but it's not trading based on profit. It, it's trading based on, oh, there's a new report right. from the bankless education platform yeah. that they just crossed a threshold and they're now educating from 5,000 individuals to 10,000 individuals. Oh, it's doubled right. in the last month. Right. Well, that's worth double the value. Right. And so the token trades upwards. And why? Because it's expecting that liquidity event mm-hmm. at the end of this road when the, um, you know, the, the public goods uh, essentially voting body mm-hmm. votes to fund it and provide, that's the IPO, yes. right? And so like you're trying to get from like, you know, uh, PMF product market fit or P, uh, yeah, PMF is now it's like public market fit. Yes. It's like how, right. how, um, how can you design a product that benefits the public the most, m- the most and showcase those metrics in order to get funding and have your IPO. So it kind of flips it on its head. Right. And, Am and, I right about that? Yeah, yeah is that, is no, that you right? articulated that so well. And and the 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 flag in the ground is that like retroactive public goods funding funds it creates impact equaling to profit. As in, you profit as much as you impacted positively the world around you. Where like old investments are uh, investments that like maximize private financial return. Like the in retroactive public goods funding, these new investments are are investments that maximize public financial return. So it's a question of how wealthy did you make your community, not you. Like how how much did you spread and share in wealth and upside and knowledge to everyone around you, rather than extracting and pulling that in for yourself. And so, like you can now, as an entrepreneur, you can now build a whole new slew of products that have never been seen before on the face of this earth. Which is why this opportunity, Ryan, is so big because it's completely untapped snow. It's like the internet; we don't even know how big it is. Uh, and so, if you can build a product that maximizes public financial return, then you get your share of the L2 MEV that gets pulled out of the, the, uh, out of the economic energy of the layer two. Uh, and so, and this turns into like a positive feedback loop where if you generate more public goods, you make that layer two a more like a more lovely place to live. It's got better infrastructure. It's got better roads. Uh, and so because of that, more people will live there and they will go to that layer two and that will generate more revenue out of MEV because there is more people paying their small pay- share of taxes to to the layer two. And that layer two now has more funding to fund in further public goods. So it's a positive flywheel effect. Uh, and, and Ryan, like, it, right now, like I said, like Optimism is producing like ten million dollars a day in in MEV like fees and and rewards, like then the token's not even launched. Like we talked about this in layer one, there is a coming mania of layer twos, and it's going to generate so much revenue for this opportunity. And so like this isn't this isn't just like Ryan and David saying like oh like public goods, let's all like remember to celebrate kumbaya. public goods, kumbaya. Like, no, 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 no. This is going to put money in your pocket. We made it. We made it capitalist. We yes. just made it capitalist. Public goods are in now good capitalist. Way. Yes. Well, I guess what's what's cool about this is uh, it feels very scalable in the way that capitalism is scalable. Yes. Right. In that like, you know, part of I think we want to get to some examples mm-hmm. of potential public goods for layer twos. But before we get there, like we could just say, 
we don't even know what the best public goods are going right. to be. They're going to start skeuomorphic, probably. Yeah, yeah, but like, yes, but it's it's almost a matter of like, yeah, that's what the market is for. The mm-hmm. mar- like mm-hmm. all of the public goods entrepreneurs out there are going to innovate ideas and create ideas that no one else has. Like, so the other way of distributing your public goods is basically it's non-market. Mm-hmm. It's basically top down. I'm gonna allocate a little bit here, right. a little bit here. A group of managers making decisions. Effectively, that's what they are. If you're managing a budget for like even a a public, a city or like a nation state or anything else, this takes the opposite approach. It's like, go build us an awesome thing first, right? And like show the success metrics for that thing. We don't even know what the roads are, the hospitals are, what the analogs are in the layer two space, but we'll know it when we see it and go let a thousand ideas bloom and the ones that survive, the ones that make it through that gauntlet of public market fit, kind of like these, these survival of the fittest, the best ideas will win. And those are the ideas that will be handsomely, generously rewarded on the other side. So it kind of solves the problem of like, well, what should an L2 like network actually build? It's kind of like, we know some things, but the market in general right. will solve the problem right. of what to build. Right. And it, you could imagine, right? Like, you know, all the people that play like the token rotation games is like, all right, wait, is it going to be this token this week that's going to pump or is it going to be that token next week that's going to pump? Like these shelling point games are like, who's going to buy what tokens next? The shelling point as a result of retroactive public goods becomes public goods. Like people become fascinated by public goods because that's where the alpha is. That's where the upside is. And so like as people pay, play these degen trading games in crypto all the time. What retroactive public goods funding does is it injects that energy into the public goods tokens uh and so like it's it's so bullish for not just like public goods but just humanity at large ryan because the the cool thing about optimism and and what they're doing with evm equivalents and arbitrum's also evm equivalent so they're doing this as well they haven't talked about retroactive public goods but um perhaps they will um is that evm equivalent layer twos like optimism and, and arbitrum when they fund something that is useful on that layer two it becomes infinitely uh, uh, copy and pasteable for all other layer twos and the Ethereum layer one. So these aren't privately owned public goods, by <laughs> which is an oxymoron. It becomes a public good for the whole entire ecosystem. In the same way that like Avalanche forked Geth to produce Avalanche, Avalanche could also benefit from all the public goods innovation that happens on Optimism. So this isn't contained inside of the Optimism ecosystem. It's a public good for the whole entire crypto ecosystem. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like like let's say a you know a wealthy country does the R&D for right. a new vaccine, right. for instance, yes. and builds up the public institutions, educational institutions to, to, to spend the time and the effort to develop this vaccine in a lab. And then the rest of the world can benefit from that knowledge. But it also right? it and, also doesn't stop at crypto networks, Ryan, because it can go outside of crypto networks. So we can just start funding public goods, like not crypto public goods, but public goods for the whole entire world. It's like, yeah, it, it is interesting to think about like probably one step at a time at some level. But right, like yes. if this is successful in crypto, mm-hmm. this could be a mechanism that um, that nation states end up using mm-hmm. or crypto could kind of step in and be like, you know, the US, the US isn't funding this specific thing very well. Maybe maybe this crypto network needs to fund it right. a little bit better. Yes. Uh, cryptography right. education, right? It's like, could you imagine a layer two funding a a university program, Mm -hmm. a massive online university program for cryptographers in a way that a nation state might, but now they're doing it like for 
layer twos. Right. And part, part of this like excitement that I have about this is that because this is extremely legitimizing for crypto networks, for public populace that like still think crypto is scary and foreign and going to come destroy the world. Imagine if like retroactive public goods funding starts funding, literally starts filling in the pave holes that the nation states forgot to, to fill in and like extrapolate that as a metaphor, not as literal where like, oh, look, man, I think financial literacy is one. Sure. Right. Yeah. It's like, I don't think nation states and education system provide financial uh, literacy to to kids mm -hmm. growing up. What if what if crypto networks started to get into that right. space? Right. They benefit from it mm -hmm. because eventually they'll become citizens of their respective layer twos. But like, what if crypto networks stepped into disadvantaged communities mm -hmm. and started providing financial literacy training through right. crypto tools? Right. What happens when when retroactive public goods allows for layer twos to start filling the shoes of government, starts filling the gaps that governments left behind, because this is a just a market driven source of public goods funding, which is something never before seen and uniquely available to layer twos. And so this, this is where we literally create what we call the bankless nation, Ryan, where the roles of government are like deconstructed and, and then reconstructed on crypto economic layer twos. And so this is what makes me so bullish for humanity is because we actually have a known, concrete, actionable path forward to creating better social structures for the whole entire world. A lot of steps to get there, but yeah, it's this is this is kind of a, a new mechanism, right? There are very mm -hmm. few new governance mechanisms, but this feels like one of them potentially that's not being used in the real world. Um, but let's let's talk about a few examples then, mm -hmm. the here and the now, in our limited brains and our minds, and that like we can only see a foot foot or two in front of us. What are some examples of public goods that people could start think about building? Um, we were talking about one, which is like education, right? Mm -hmm. Bankless education, but all sorts of different education you could imagine for crypto. Um, what are examples of other things? I know we mentioned clients. Mm -hmm. So if you have dev skills and you want to build kind of the layer twos version of a, of a Gath or, or something like it, maybe the ability to run a um, layer two, you know, sequencer on a phone or, you know, from, from individual houses, decentralize the network a little bit more that that is a public good for, you know, for certain, maybe that's something that could get funded. Do you have any other ideas? Yeah. Like flashbots definitely comes to mind and flashbot is, I think is a fork of Geth, but it's a main Ethereum layer one client that helps solve MEV helps mitigate bad MEV at the layer one level. Uh, so it, it makes the, the layer one less, uh, uh, less extractive from the users because it, it mitigates against the bad MEV, MEV and only allows the good MEV. That's a public good. Uh, and that, that just has come from just like the blood, sweat and tears of people like Phil Diane without any, I don't think there's any upside there. So like uh, flashbots could have been a retroactive public, public good funding ecosystem. Um, David Mihal's websites, like all of the websites that we frequently use on the weekly roll-up, the, the moneyprinter.info, cryptofees.info. Uh, he's got all of these fantastic data dashboards that are just public for us to consume that data. He could build that and get funded and further, rather than that just being an, uh, a passion project that he just thinks is fun, he could get retroactive public goods funding for producing all of that. We can talk like at-home node hardware, like new types of wallets, layer two bridges, like anything that the public uses that is beneficial for all of us can get funded with retroactive public goods. Uniswap, cool. Uniswap it, could have been a retroactively public good thing. It was, it was a grant. Fund, was a, it right? was a grant. It, Anything that's a grant can now have a sustainable business model. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what uh, what you need. So I guess um, 
you know, and it, please don't be limited by our ideas. Right. This is not an exhaustive list. It, this is just things we can think of kind of on the fly. I think the best ideas will come from the market as yes. they, as they usually do. Which is the power um, of, of this whole thing. And the, the answer to the question of why layer twos would do this is because it's good for their network, mm -hmm. right? It's basically why, why does a nation state invest in, in public goods? It's because it's, it's good for the people of the nation state. It makes mm -hmm. more people want to live there, increases the economy, increases GDP, and there's economic benefits uh, you know, to doing this. So what is the invitation? What is the, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, opportunity? This, this whole two-part series is all about these layer two opportunities. We're basically saying that there is a massive amount of future public goods funding out there for you in it's the same the way. way like like you know miners mm -hmm. like you could be a public goods miner mm -hmm. miners provide a form of public goods which is security and defense now we're saying that same mechanism is going to unleash a whole bunch of other categories beyond security into like education into like you know, a general protocol development into like decentralization public goods that these are the roads and the hospitals. And so are we basically saying, hey, go become a government contractor, go work for the, like the public public goods. Think about some startups that you could develop for this future. Is that the invitation? Is this the big opportunity that you've been talking about? Yeah, that's one of them. There's a, there's a second of them as well. And overall, the call to action is like prepare to get good at this because this is going to be a new skill to develop. Uh, can entrepreneurs and builders build public goods and, and, and get the retroactive public goods funding? That's going to be a brand new skill. But also there's going to be a new skill for VCs is can you identify viable public good projects ahead of your competition? Because can you get that early investment? There's like the, the world of VC investments is super saturated right now. And we're about to see an explosion of new types of potential investment opportunities. And the VCs that can identify public goods projects that are going to produce a lot of value and a lot of impact for the surrounding communities are going to win at getting good at investing in retroactive public goods projects. Uh, and so the, the call to action for builders is that there is going to be a wave of just a tsunami of cash coming available as soon as this project gets rolled out out of optimism and now layer two start to compete on this vector. And then the other, the other call to action is, is like, yo, get good at investing in these things. Maybe, maybe building is not for you, although question that. Um, but if, <laughs> if you want to just invest in projects, like it's a skill to identify ahead of the curve projects where impact equals profit. There you go. That's the action item. Mm -hmm. I think that's the bottom line. Anything more to say about this, David? Yeah, there's a, a link in the show notes uh, that we'll put in for just the metrics for like Optimism's revenue fees on a daily basis. And remember, that's before token incentives. That's before this layer two phenomenon. Uh, I think this is going to 10x maybe by the end of the year and 10x again in 2023. So seriously, the amount of like just massive amounts of cash that are coming towards retroactive public goods funding is, is significant. And this is something never before seen in humanity. And this is something that like when you got into crypto and crypto made you optimistic about a better future, this is why. This is why we actually have like a path towards solving global human coordination problems. And if you want to get to a Star Trek future, it's retroactive public goods that can do it. I, I do think that there's going to be a, um, a, a time period, like a window of opportunity where there's going to be all of this public goods funding available and wanting to get spent. 
and not enough builders mm -hmm. in the system to actually like build out good public goods. There's kind of a, an arbitrage there, right? So much money flowing in for public goods and yet not enough builders. Mm -hmm. And so we're at the very beginning stages. That's a good place to be if you're a builder because uh, you'll be more handsomely rewarded right. before things get crowded. You can, you know, what, what do we say at the beginning of every, uh, every bankless podcast is front run the opportunity. Right. Here's an opportunity to front run. That opportunity is public goods funding. So uh, tune into that. Optimism is the first one that's doing this big retroactive public goods uh, funding experiment. So that'd be the first one to tap into. We expect other layer twos, probably some alternative layer ones to start attempting this in the future too. So you may as well go get good at it. We will include some links in the show notes. Anything else, David? Um, bullish humanity, Ryan. Bullish, there you go. Bullish, bullish humanity. Goods. What would a bankless podcast be if we were not bullish humanity? <laughs> so we'll include a link for the action item in the show notes to start building out public goods. You want to consider what public goods products are now viable and what you can build in the future. Of course, risks and disclaimers. None of this has been financial advice. ETH is risky. Layer twos are risky. So is DeFi. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.